0: Coming up, NBA predictions, NFC champion predictions, and Jeopardy. I should have done a, what is the Bill Simmons podcast? Anyway, it's all next. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. Unlike this podcast, some things in life should be boring, like banking, because boring is pragmatic and responsible, level-headed, wise, all the things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be exciting. Exciting is for three-point buzzer beaters, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money, because when your money is doing what you need it to, you can do all the unboring things you want to do with it. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is the service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc., PNC Bank, National Association, member FDIC. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com and the Ringer Podcast Network, where we're trying to cover all of this NBA news as fast as we can on the Ringer NBA show and on the Ryan Rossillo show. We announced two new podcasts that launch next week. One is Gamblers. It's a narrative series with Dave Hill. Very, very excited about it. If you like gambling, I promise you're going to like this one. And then the other one, Recipe Club, Dave Chang and his major domo gang. Um, I can't even describe this one, but if you like food, you're going to like this one as well. So if you like food and gambling, you're going to be very happy next week. Also, Book of Basketball returned, if you missed it. J.A. Donde and I, we did Allen Iverson, as the first episode of season three. You got some good feedback for that already. Glad people enjoyed it. We're going to be doing, I think, 12 episodes, maybe more. I don't know. We're doing all players this year. Have another one coming. We're going to be dropping those on Wednesdays, uh, Wednesday nights, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you can hear them when they go up. Coming up, I'm going to do some NBA stuff at the very top, just a couple of predictions for, I think, what's going to be a crazy next eight days. And then... Kevin Clark comes on to talk about um, who's going to be the NFC champion and who should we bet on in week 10 for million dollar picks. And then finally, Claire McNair is going to talk about her uh, new Jeopardy book that she wrote for the Ringer Books imprint. That's all coming up first, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, I'm taping this first part of the podcast. It is 8 p.m. Pacific time. So waited as long as possible because the NBA is getting super weird. I wouldn't say the NBA is drunk right now, but I it's definitely had a couple drinks and it's definitely gone outside and had cigarettes with a waitress and then come back in and ordered shots. But it's not it's not hammered yet, but it's it's definitely been overserved. Weird shit's going on. Lots of teams. Kicking the tires on stuff, either as buyers or sellers. Nobody knows what's going to happen in this draft. We are a week away. No idea who the first pick is going to be. Some people say it's going to be Lamella Ball. Other people say he's going to drop at least to Chicago at number four. Uh, Everyone has James Wiseman going to Golden State at number two without having any idea what Golden State actually wants to do. This is a bizarre draft. Guys going all over the map. And on top of it, everybody waiting for the trade moratorium to be lifted. I think this is going to be a hold on to your seats thrill ride for the next few weeks. And I wanted to talk about a couple of the uh, other storylines in a second, but Russell Westbrook basically leaking that he wants out and that he's unhappy and he wants to go back to being Russell Westbrook. That came out yesterday in The Athletic. I don't think people were shocked to hear that um, Russ maybe didn't want to be a sidekick for James Harden and then not get guarded in the playoffs and be blamed for any playoff losses again. He is Russell Westbrook. He wants his own team. Here's the thing. I kind of want him to have his own team too. I don't think that team will succeed. I don't think that team will get out of round one. That team might not even make the playoffs, but it's more fun when chef Russell Westbrook um, is in the kitchen and he's cooking crazy stuff. And a lot of it's unedible. And you can't believe that uh, he made 39 meatballs when you only needed 15 and all the things that Chef Russell Westbrook does. Here's the problem. He makes an incredible amount of money. He makes, let me see, what's the exact number? He has 132.6 million due over the next three years. And this is in a league where the players are being asked to take and basically to agree to an 18% escrow tax. So the money will be a little bit less than that, at least for this year, you know, 18% less. But what do you do if if you're Russell Westbrook's uh, agent and he's like, yeah, you got to get me out of Houston. Just find me, a, find me another team. And, and you're like, dude, this is going to be hard. No offense. I know you made the All-NBA last year and I, I know... You're still really good. And I know you're feeling good about things just in general. You're the MVP three years ago. Um, You know, two things on this. One, Doug Collins, when I did TV with him, he always, we would talk about how hard it was to coach Michael Jordan those last two years on the Wizards. And he would just say, you don't understand what it's like to coach a superstar who's not a superstar anymore. Because in their head, they still think they're the same person that they were at their peak when they won the MVP, when they won the finals, all that stuff. And they're not that guy anymore. And a lot of superstars don't realize that. So that's one thing. Another thing is a theory that my mom has always had about, and um, she had, I won't say who the person was, but um, somebody she was friends with who used to be gorgeous and then got older and wasn't gorgeous anymore. And my mom's theory is when you know, you're in your 20s or whatever you are, and if you're super funny or you're, really attractive or whatever, in your head, you're always that person, even if things change over the next 40 years. And you could be 65 and not look anything like that person you were when you were 25, but you're still acting like you're the 25-year-old. Russell Westbrook isn't there yet as a basketball player, but reading comments about how he wants to go back to being Russell Westbrook again, it's pretty funny because that version of Russell Westbrook is just not going to contend for titles and, and do anything that is going to truly matter as a basketball player. It's almost like he just he just wants the steering wheel again. So, all right, if you want the steering wheel again, Russell Westbrook, we have some ideas for you. We have some alternatives. Unfortunately, they're all pretty lousy. So, for instance, we could send you to Charlotte and maybe they'll give you Terry Rozier back and Cody Zeller's expiring and maybe they'll even throw in Malik Monk. But then you're in Charlotte and you're basically trying to go 42 and 40. And now if you're Charlotte, it's like, would you rather play Rogier, I don't know, 38 million for the next two years, or would you rather play Russell Westbrook 132 million for the next three years? Odds are if you're Charlotte, it's like, well, if we get Westbrook, are we winning the finals? Probably not. Um, could he break down? Maybe. Is this super risky? Yeah. And they end up saying no thanks. Orlando's another one that people thought, oh, Orlando, they love trading for guys after they've hit their peak. Um, Well, they could throw you know, Aaron Gordon and Terrence Ross and one other contract, maybe make Gordon the centerpiece and do it that way. But then if you're Orlando, what are you getting out of that? So now we're going to go 43 and 39 instead of 37 and 45. I don't know. Washington, they could flip John Wall for him. They make the exact same amount of money. They could throw in the number nine pick. You take John Wall. We'll throw in the number nine pick. We'll take Westbrook back. Again, what do you get out of it? And then the last one would be Detroit. Now, Detroit, I can talk myself into this one because Detroit, by all accounts, um, is in really rough shape with season ticket renewals, with just the money they're making in general, the fact that they're not going to be able to participate in revenue sharing. They probably have the least appealing roster in the league in terms of assets. I think that's why a lot of people thought the Celtics could potentially trade 14, 26, and 30 for seven just because Detroit needs younger players. They might let Christian Wood go in free agency, it looks like. Um, Blake Griffin is their most expensive player by far. Nobody knows if he's healthy. He's got two years left at like 36 million. So if you're Detroit, you have no identity. You have no reason at all for anyone in Detroit to care about that team or come to games when we can have fans again. And you can kind of talk yourself into the Westbrook thing. And it's like, man, if we get Westbrook back and Blake turns into the guy from two years ago before he hurt his knee and he could be 90% of that guy, now we kind of have something. We have an identity. We have two famous guys on our team. Put them on a poster. Maybe we'll sell some more tickets when fans start coming to games again. Um, The upside of that, you know, we'd have two top 30 guys, potentially, if they're both healthy. So the thought I had was maybe the trade that makes the most sense is they just send Derrick Rose to Houston. He makes like seven and a half million a year. Take Westbrook back for 37 million. They wouldn't be able to do this till uh, after the draft when all the contracts reset, but they're going to have a ton of cap space. And you just have Westbrook and Blake and you're ready to go. So I think that could make sense. The other one I was thinking, um, and by the way, Westbrook on Detroit, I, I, I weirdly like it. You know, they have that kind of rough and tumble identity. He's a blue collar guy, the way he plays, balls to the wall all the time. I don't know, kind of, I'm not against that. Um, the fun thing about that for him in Detroit would just be, you know, God only knows what kind of stats he'd put up every night. It would just be fun having have him back in the league. I was like, oh my God, Westbrook was 35, 11 and 12 last night and he took 40 shots. Great. Way more fun than whatever Detroit had going. There's one trade though, that I actually think makes sense for everybody. I made this up. I have no in, inside info. Here's the trade. Philly gets Mike Conley, who only has one year left on his contract by the way. Houston gets Al Horford, who has like 2 years plus like you can kind of get out of that fourth year. And then uh and then Westbrook goes to Utah. All right, so why would Utah do this? That's weird. Well, if you're Utah, you're pretty close, right? You, you're, not, you're not a true championship contender, but you're a good playoff team. You're like, you know, the eighth, ninth, 10th best team in the league. Conley wasn't that great last year. In fact, he missed a shot in game seven that uh, they could have been in Denver. You know, Conley's leaving anyway after a year. At least he's not going to be making the same money after next year that he's making now. You could argue you bring Westbrook in. Put him with Donovan Mitchell, and now you have this super athletic, physical backcourt that would be really hard to match up with. You know, in Westbrook he wouldn't get his dream of of driving the car all the time, but he could alternate with with Mitchell, and you know they could just be attacking the rim. And now you are thinking crunch time where you have Westbrook with Mitchell, with Joe Ingles, with Bogdanovich, and and Gobert. It's kind of interesting. So that's the only team that actually has final eight or final four potential that I could see ever in a million years talking themselves into Westbrook. Now the thought of Westbrook in Utah would be hilarious, but, uh, but that was, that was my best idea if he was actually trying to compete. Now here's another piece of the, of, of the story. Hold on to your seats. What if Westbrook wanted out because he knew Harden was about to get traded? Hmm. Okay. Well, where's Harden if he was going to get traded, where would that be? Okay. I think three options here. So one, just to the Clippers for Paul George. Just bring Paul George to the Rockets, send Harden to the Clips. And, you know, there's been a lot of rumors about Kawhi wasn't happy with Doc Rivers, wasn't happy with Paul George, wasn't happy with anybody. Now it's like, all right, now we have Kawhi and James Harden. Mildly intriguing. I don't think that one's very realistic. Second one, Philly, where Daryl Morey is, it, it would just be the Ben Simmons trade, right? Ben Simmons for James Harden. Just switch those dudes. Well, what if I told you the Houston owner maybe wasn't ecstatic about how the Daryl thing played out with with Philly? I don't know that for a fact. I I I've heard rumors. Um, my guess is he's not going to reward Daryl with James Harden. Uh, one of the best four players of the last 10 years. So I'm going to cross that off. The other one I was thinking, what if it was Brooklyn? You're like, Brooklyn? Durant, Kyrie and Harden, what? Well, Durant and Harden, still buds. Um, All those guys know each other. They have Karis LeVert, who's making a really, really sustainable 17 million, I think, starting that kicks in this year. They also have the Torian Prince deal. I think he makes 12. And Dinwiddie, who they don't really need because of Kyrie. Everybody knows they're shopping Dinwiddie every year. So you could do Dinwiddie, Levert, Prince. It would, you'd have to wait until the next year's contracts kick in. Maybe throw them, I don't know, unprotected first, something like that. You get Harden back. And then if you're Brooklyn, you're just like, this is weird. We have three guys who need the ball, who are amazing scorers, but imagine trying to match up against us. Harden, Durant, Kyrie, good luck. We're going to spread the floor with different guys on different sides and you're screwed everywhere you look. Plus you have Nash as the coach. So my thought is, let's say that, let's say randomly this happens um, or Harden gets traded one of those three teams. Well, let's say he goes to Brooklyn. But well, let's say Westbrook has an inkling that that might be happening and that's why he wants out. But if you're Houston, you're thinking, we trade Harden, we get a bunch of pieces back and then we actually build them around Westbrook. So weirdly, the Westbrook trade that people think might happen isn't going to happen because the trade will be to the non-James Harden Rockets. They'll just keep them and give them the car keys and he'll get to have the steering wheel. So I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? My guess is that Houston will blow things up way, way, way faster than people think? Because once this once this stuff gets out, it always comes out. Like for instance, the Chris Paul stuff. Chris Paul stuff gets out because he knows Phoenix and OKC are talking trades. He knows Presty is probably going to hold up Phoenix for a really good deal. He wants to get it out there, try to get some momentum one way or the no- another. If you think about it, the last five years, how many big trades happened where we had no idea the trade was going to happen until it actually happened? It's usually most of the time. It's usually like 90%. When the stuff gets leaked, that teams are talking and, oh, who knows? And that's usually, there's always somebody has an angle on that. Either it's getting leaked by the player or the agent, or it's getting leaked by the team because they, they are trying to send a message. So my thought is, I actually think Chris Paul stays in OKC because... I don't think there's a better option for him. And if I'm Phoenix, why am I trading uh Rubio, Ubre, and the 10th pick for Chris Paul? I'm only doing it if it's Rubio and Ubre for Chris Paul. And if I'm OKC, I'm like, well, why am I trading Chris Paul then? I I'll just wait until February and he'll have more value and somebody will be desperate. Who knows? If there's not a market now, I'm not gonna trade him now. So I think Chris Paul ends up ends up staying in OKC, would be my guess. Um unless Phoenix throws in that 10th pick. And if they did that, that's just dumb. I wouldn't do that. Chris Paul's is going to be 37 next year. Like at some point, you move into a different phase of your career. I know he went to a plant-based diet, but come on. Uh, And if you're Chris, you feel an urgency, you want to get traded to a contender, but none of those contenders can fit your salaries in. You're basically looking at the same Westbrook deal I laid out, um, but with OKC taking back the Horford contract, which they're not going to do. Presty's not taking any dumb contracts back. He's just not, at least with Rubio and with, uh, with Uber, you, you know, you can spin Ubre if you want for a low pick or whatever, and you can probably trade Rubio too. So, um, my guess is he stays for now. And if he ends up getting traded during the season, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there will be a suitor at some point. Somebody will get hurt. Somebody will panic. Somebody will be unhappy with their team, whatever. Uh other stuff I'm hearing. Well, everyone knows the Celtics are super aggressive right now. They're offering, they've offered their first three picks, 14, 26, and 30 to everybody in the top eight. Probably except for Minnesota, because why would Minnesota do that? But um they are throwing their picks around. They do not want to bring back more rookies. From what I understand, pretty much they'll discuss anything. Any anything is is fair game. And KOC reported today about how they're looking at Drew Holiday, and you know if there's really, it's really hard for them to acquire Drew Holiday without giving up Kemba Walker. So that was the when I when I heard the Drew Holiday thing, you just start doing the math, and you're like, well, it could be Marcus Smart and Robert Williams and all this stuff. And it's like, well, why would they get Drew holiday? So they, he makes twice as much as Marcus smart. I'd rather just keep Marcus smart at half the price. But if it's Kemba, you know, that gets a little more interesting because he's right around the same money as, uh, as, as holiday. And if they, and if it is accurate that they are making a big run and trying to get picks and trying to make a move for, for holiday, they still have to be able to fit them into their salary cap They are they have, Brown's contract, they have Kemba, they have Tatum's extension coming, and it it's, would just be really hard unless Kemba or Smart is involved in that trade. My feeling is that everyone on Boston is, av- is available except for Brown and Tatum. Not saying they're shopping them, but I think this team knows that they missed their window. They had a chance to make the finals. Danny, let's be honest they did not have good drafts the last couple of years and and they were kind of one guy short they had hero in boston apparently had an amazing workout and they were just hoping he fell to their pick and he didn't he went one pick before and they could have used some of this capital to move up and make sure they got him they didn't over and over again with these future picks they've had they they've they put this huge premium on them and they they kept that sacramento pick that year when they could have flipped it The same thing for the Memphis pick. They kept holding on to these things, thinking they were holding on to these diamonds because how it worked out with Brooklyn. But, um, you know, they've had a lot of swings at it here. And unless it's a top 10 pick, it just has not worked out in the last decade for the guys they've gotten back. So I think, I, I, I can't wait to see what they do. I hope they don't get too crazy, but I think they're doing something. The most logical pick, or the, I'm sorry, the most logical trade would be if they just use 14, 26, 30 and whatever else they needed to move into seven with Detroit and when Detroit just needs assets. Uh, the Clippers super aggressive right now. They, uh, you know, the Harrell thing, they know they can't bring Harrell back because he can't guard Davis or, Jokic, the two guys they're trying to beat. So there's sign and trade stuff with them. I don't know the sign and trade rules Cause the old sign and trade rules, you couldn't package other players with the sign and trade guy. I don't know if they're going to change that just for this year. Cause they're short in season, but Harold's somebody who either is going to leave or, or they have a chance to sign and trade him. And then w- Lou Williams and Pat Beverly are available for anybody. So one trade I was thinking, I made this up was uh, Lou Williams and Pat Beverly to Milwaukee for Eric Bledsoe because um, you know, Bledsoe, more of a traditional point guard, maybe needs to change the scenery. And then if you're Milwaukee, you have, you know, Williams scoring off the bench. You kind of get away from Bledsoe, who really let you down the last two years. And then Beverly with some defense. More importantly, two smaller contracts that are much easier to move if you have to, for whatever reason. I am prepared for anything with the Clippers, including a Paul George trade. You Nothing they could do would surprise me after how the doc thing played out. I think there is an incredible amount of urgency with that team. And um they're they're flying hot. Flying hot right now. One last thing. So I'm looking at Chicago and they have a chance to get LaMelo at four, right? We Lamelo is being rumored to go everywhere from one to four and could even drop out of the top four. Who knows? Everybody seems to agree that his passing is the single biggest skill in this draft, but there's a lot of concerns behind the scenes about some of the interviews he's had, the people he has around him, all the stuff you would expect from LaMelo Ball. Well, if Chicago traded Kobe White for Lonzo Ball and then drafted LaMelo Ball and had both balls, I'm going to make the case this is actually a good idea. (laughs) Um, So you have two guys who, Lonzo definitely a little up and down on the Lakers and then... Um, really up and down. Last season in New Orleans was not good in the bubble, but you know I'm sure the bubble. There were always reasons why that matter transcended basketball. Um, you put those two together, and now I actually feel better about them off the court because they they have each other, and on the court could be really fun together. And I don't know if if you're Chicago, you're looking for identity, and you could turn Kobe White in the fourth pick into the Ball Brothers, put them with Zach Levine. Wendell Carter, Lori Markinen. That's a fun team. I'm watching that team on League Pass. By the way, that's also a team that could give up the first 110-point game to a player because nobody on that team would be able to guard anybody. Who cares? Um, I I am in the Chicago should go for both balls camp. I think that would be really fun. Uh, and of course, that would involve New Orleans trading Lonzo for Kobe White. New Orleans has been all over the map. They kind of want to trade Drew Holiday. It's They don't want to take too much money back. Like who the hell knows what they're doing? All I know is David Griffin seems to win these deals and he's somebody I'd be very careful trading with. He's really rebounded from the Mozgov trade where he gave up two first round picks for Mozgov. Ever since then, it's been a lot smoother sailing for him. But uh, I'm ready for anything. I'm excited. So my prediction, I think it's more likely Westbrook stays in Houston than gets traded. I think it's more likely Chris Paul stays in OKC, then gets traded. And I think it's more likely Harding gets traded before Westbrook. Those are my my three things I'll leave you with. All right. Uh, Coming up, Kevin Clark and I are going to talk football. And the funny thing is you get to hear us shit on the Colts and talk about how they're going to lose to the Titans and then joke how, wow, wouldn't it be funny if the Colts actually beat the Titans? Well, that's what happened. And that's why you know I'm in a slump right now. So I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. That's all coming up. Uh, Let's take one break. 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at mclobaltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right. Kevin Clark is here. Normally, he's hosting the Ringer NFL show on Thursdays and on Sundays too, but on Thursdays. And I texted him like a week ago and I was like, <laughs> I'm stealing you from your own show. You're coming on mine instead of your show. Crossover.
1: Yeah, crossover.
0: crossover. And uh so if you want to hear that Ringer NFL show, I think it's Nora and Mallory are hosting this Mm -hmm. one. And then
1: Kaylin Jones and Danny Kelly hopped on too. Fun show. There you go.
0: Okay. Um, we're gonna do million dollar picks in a little bit. Had a bad week Mm -hmm. last week, which I predicted because we I was in Arizona for my daughter's soccer, and I get crushed every time my daughter's soccer goes head to head against NFL. It's just the way it goes. Before we do the picks. I had some, I wanted to talk about playoff odds, and not not just who's going to make the playoffs, but also the NFC. The NFC is in a really weird place. Yes, the Saints are plus three fifty to win this to win the NFC. None of us like the Saints, e- even as good as they looked last week against Tampa. There's still this unease because of Breeze's arm strength. It just makes people nervous.
1: I'm starting to talk myself into the Saints and oh, good. there's Make a lot the of reasons case. for that. Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of things. Number one, smart people in July and August said wait until Brady gets half a season under his belt and they're going to get better. You know, no one cares more about the details than Tom Brady. He doesn't have a training camp, doesn't have OTAs, you know, doesn't put pads on till till August fifteenth. He's going to get better and better and better. And so week one, when when the Bucks and the Saints played, I threw that out. I said this. This doesn't matter. Brady's going to get better and better and better. This was the closing the gap game for me, and then I didn't see that. And obviously, you know they were they were whipped everywhere. You know, Ali Marpet being out was a big thing with with with, with people who studied the game. But I think that that this was bigger than the Ali Marpet, quite frankly. Okay, um, the. The Saints were able to get a four-man rush the entire game. Uh, they were able to pressure Brady on half of his dropbacks when they had a four-man rush. That's really good. Uh, since Marcus Davenport's come back in week five, they have the most pressures in football, pressure rate in football. Um, there's just something there. Um, the problem at the beginning of the year was that Lattimore and Marcus Williams were bad, and those are two pretty good players. And I, I think that you know a good pass rush can, can solve that. Those guys can get better. And so with with Breeze, listen, there are there are problems with the fact that you can't throw down the field. Uh, the offensive line is not as good as it has been in years past. It doesn't matter with Breeze because he gets rid of the ball in a second. He's like Peyton Manning. He doesn't need, you know, the the, the best offensive line in the world. Um, and then Lattimore, who we were kind of dunking on because at one point he was giving up almost a perfect passer rating. He owns Mike Evans. He owns him. He has not given up a reception to Mike Evans the last three games that they've played. And so when if those guys play in the playoffs again, there's that matchup. So I, I don't. I'm feeling better about the Saints now than I
0: was two, three weeks ago. Good coaching staff. I guess. Great the, coaching staff. Yeah. So the 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 fear, and this isn't just the Saints, but the fear is: all right, what happens if they're down ten in a playoff game? It's basically the Lamar Jackson corollary. How am I feeling if I'm down thirteen to three in the second quarter and they've just done a three and out? What are what are my emotions in that moment? That's my fear with I, the Saints because of Brees.
1: I think that they're, what, because they don't you don't think they're capable of the big play? Is that your fear?
0: If teams know, like, all right, they've got to air this out. They've got to quicken the pace. And also, it's amazing to me, Kamara's probably been the MVP. I think it's either him, Cook, Mahomes, Murray, in some order. Um, okay. I'm amazed that teams aren't just like, all right, we're taking him out like Belichick in his prime before he added his kids to the coaching staff and decided (laughs) to throw away five straight drafts, Belichick in his prime. Um, All he would do would be like, Kamara's not beating me. You can have everyone else on on the Saints. I'm not getting beaten by that guy. I'm following everywhere he goes. We're hating him constantly. He's not beating me. Why don't teams do that with them? I don't get it.
1: Okay, so first of all, they have a, a lot
0: of, of weapons, I think, especially when Michael
1: Thomas is healthy. Um, there's a lot they can do there. You know, I think Peter King had a really good breakdown in his column this week about there was a play where the Bucks dropped eight men into coverage. And it was a weird play. They had their fullbacks split out wide and Breeze hit a random tight end Adam Troutman for a touchdown even throwing into eight men. Like that there's just something there. Breeze is still really really good. Mm. And so I think it's it's a bit simplistic to say just take away Kamara because they can do other stuff. Um and and they can they can change their game plan so much. One of the things, Bill, about the last couple of months is that everything all the people, all the GMs, all the coaches said in training camp about what the season was going to be like was pretty much correct is that it is about continuity and it's about good coaches and good quarterbacks all the things that you know are normally important but they're just accelerated this year and you know okay there's a scoring boom well there's always a scoring boom but just a bigger scoring boom than normal um and so i think that the ability for the saints to be really really uh complicated I think that's that's important because they can do things against defenses that are just not ready for. Obviously, the Bucks are an, should be an awesome defense think they're number one in DVOA. Todd Bowles is an awesome defensive coordinator, but the Saints just have these little edges, which over the course of a game matter a lot. and And I think that that's why at this point I, I like the Saints probably as my as my NFC team among those dominant teams. They just have the flaws that I think are most manageable and I think that this is a little bit more Eastern conferency with, with, with the NBA to make the NBA comparison where we're going to look at this and everything is going to feel explicable um, when we look back on it and, and I I just feel like the Saints can manage their flaws
0: Very good case. With all that said, I would take out Kamara and I would never let him beat me. And if the fucking backup tight end and (laughs) Emmanuel Sanders and whoever else, Deontay Harris. Adam Adam Troutman has 120 yards. Knock yourself out. I agree with you. They are by far, by far the safest pick of the favorites. Now, here's the catch. Because of this weird COVID season, because we don't know what we're getting week to week. Because this isn't a great conference to begin with. Is there a 2020 Miami Heat scenario where you who where you could have the five seed that all of a sudden is knocking teams out? Plus, you know, round by round, you might have this round two game where it's like, oh, Kamara's not playing. He has COVID. Like, who the fuck knows? So right. I want to go through the odds, and we'll try to figure out if there's a Miami Heat potential with somebody. We got that Saints at plus 350, Seahawks plus 350, which is amazing considering they can't stop anybody. Packers plus 450. Bucks at plus 450, which might be, they just might've had a terrible aberration game. That might actually be decent odds. The Rams 10 to one, who I think we both like. Cards 50 to one, who I know I like. Then after that, it goes Eagles 17 to one, Bears 31 to one, Niners 31 to one, Vikings 44 to one, <laughs> then it gets dumb. Panthers 100 to one, mild mildly interesting. Um, <laughs> who is the Miami Heat of that group to you? Uh,
1: if there's anyone from that group, that wouldn't surprise me, but with the with the longer shots we're talking about here, that's that would be the Miami Heat analogy here, uh, not the not the Raptors, not the Bucks, not whomever. It would be the Rams for me. Okay, uh, five thirty eight has them at sixty three percent to to make the playoffs. Uh, I think they do. I think they have blue chippers on a bunch of different levels of both offense and defense. Goff is the problem. Um, we saw that against Miami, is that he can be he can be off. But I really like again comes down to continuity coaching all that stuff raw talent and and the Rams have that uh J- Jalen Ramsey is really good both those cornerbacks
0: um and, and well they're and ca- they're kind of built to win this year because of all the picks they traded so it would make sense all the that- picks
1: and the and the cap stuff and you know they're one of these teams where you do not want to be going into next year with cap problems and they're one of these
0: teams that it is it's
1: I, the books are not and this is true of half the league next year but the books are not pretty
0: yeah. Uh, all right. Saints. I mean, uh, Rams the rest of the way. They're five and three right now coming off yes. a bye big game against Seattle, which we'll be covering a million dollar yes. picks. Then they're at Tampa the next week on ESPN home for San Francisco, who might either be done completely for the year or v- weirdly rallying and getting guys back. Who knows at Arizona home, New England, New England will be done at that point home for the jets. At Seattle, home Arizona, so it feels like they'll be in that ten and six, eleven and five range. Yeah. I would guess, right? They've played the whole NFC East, which is a
1: problem. Uh, Seattle still has three NFC East games to go, which is really if you're looking, if you if you want to go through the over unders and try and trying to make some money, go through who has NFC East games left because there's there's a handful of these teams, and so mm. Seattle has the easiest schedule remaining, I think, in the NFL by opponent's winning percentage. Uh, the Rams are. 12th. So they actually have a pretty hard schedule the rest of the way. I just kind of believe in their talent.
0: Well, and and they then have you to have to beat the
1: Seahawks at some point.
0: So alright, what's the kryptonite with the Rams? Any team that can rush Jared Goff and make that weird look on his face. Then then you're, yes. then you're golden. Alright, yes. so how but many although, teams...
1: Can, can I say something? I, I will say this. Goff, one of the, the thing that changed my mind about Goff a little bit is how overwhelmed he looked in the Superdome two years ago. I was at that game. It was so loud. Like I was, it was cover my ears loud and it was obviously cover his ears loud. He looked so rattled early in that game. And I thought, this guy's done. Stick a fork in him. And his ability to at least hang in there changed, in my mind, the narrative about golf a little bit. He can get off. I mean, we, we, he can get off his game a little bit and, and, and lose it for, for stretches at a time. But I don't think he's kind of an emotional wreck the way some, some quarterbacks can be.
0: Was that the same speech you gave Sean McVay when he asked you if he should sign Jared Goff for 120 million? And you're like, you know, Sean, that Saints playoff game really changed my opinion. I think you should do it. Yeah, that was great. He called me up. He called. It was over text. It was over text. We're both millennials. He said, "KC, what do you think?" So here's the thing with them: the last eight games, they really only play one team that has a pass rush, which would be the Mm. thing you're scared about with him, right? It's Tampa in Week 11. Other than that, depleted San Francisco on down the line. Arizona might blitz them a little bit. But for the most part, I actually think he could light it up the second half of the year because they're pretty healthy. Um, I don't know. I, I'm with you. The the Between that and the weapons and the coach and kind of the urgency factor with them, I could see that one. The other one I wanted to talk about was the Cardinals, though, because they're 15-1. Yes. And I don't know. I, 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 I weirdly thought that was an okay loss for them against Miami. They kind of shot themselves in the foot. They, they, I think Miami's good. I didn't come away from that game going, oh my God, I'm out on Arizona. I was, I was, if anything, like a tiny bit more intrigued because I think Miami's good. I thought that was a really good game.
1: Okay. Of the NFC contenders, and if we can throw them in at the bottom here. Would you agree? Cliff Kingsbury is the worst coach by far. Yes. So I think that that, for me, in a very simplified season, that weighs heavily on me, decision-making, experience. And this is going to be the hardest and most unusual playoffs of our lifetimes. And I, right now, I'm looking for teams. One of the things that's, that's impressing me about teams like the Bills or the Chiefs or, or the Steelers is how many different ways they're winning games and, and how many different levels of success they can have. And with the Cardinals, I'm intrigued to see how how this develops. And I'm intrigued to see the adaptability throughout the year and all that stuff. I love Kyler. Kyler, for me, was an, a, a preseason MVP pick. I think he's getting more confidence. And I think for, for a player like that, that is so important. He understands his his uh, talent, which I think he, I don't know if he did last year There's a little more hesitation in this game. Uh, you know, he was completing 80 percent of his deep balls last year over 30 yards. And I think he understands now he can go to that and throw those quote unquote moon balls. Uh, so I think that there's a lot there. I just think that this is going to be so hard the next two months because of covid testing or, or oh, we lost this guy six hours before the game or we lost this guy on Friday. I want the best coach, not not the, not the worst coach of the contenders. I still think Cliff Kingsbury's made huge strides, but he's just not there for me yet.
0: I predicted on my podcast on Sunday that Arizona was going to be this year's team that lost an agonizing playoff game yeah. where their fans weirdly felt good about it, but at the same time, like, oh my god, we actually probably could have made the Super Bowl if that didn't happen. I think they're the runaway leading candidate for that spot. Every year, there's a team like that. You just kind of go, ugh. Yeah. Oh. My God, why did we try the 55-yard field goal right before halftime that got blocked? Ugh. I Um, think
1: there's no way Cardinals fans don't come out of this season feeling amazing. They're kind of playing with house money right now because they know they have power for the
0: next decade. It's fine. Kind kind of a secretly solid run for them this century. The cards. The the Warner team was really fun. Like, their dark moments are super dark, but they've had some good teams, you know? They've had some... I don't know. I've I've kind of enjoyed them. I even enjoyed that one Jake Jake the Snake season. So they have a couple easy games left. They have well, at Denver's not easy, but Denver's look terrible. They have a Jets game. They have a home game against the bank, the Frisky Bengals. They have the Pats who will be a corpse by that point. And they finish the season at Buffalo in, in a game yeah. that Buffalo might not even need. So yeah. they have, they have the ninth hardest schedule going forward by op- opponent winning percentage. So it's yeah. it's something to watch. All right. So we like, we like Arizona and we like, I, I like Arizona. You, li- we both like the Rams. Those would we be our like two Miami Heat candidates. All right. I think I agree with that. We're going to take a break and talk about uh, playoff bets. This episode is brought to you by Peloton Spring, the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know, it's going to happen. It's going to get warm. You can start wearing shorts gonna start wearing bathing suits. Just, you're not going to be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also, it's nice outside. Get outside, do stuff. Or if you don't have time to get outside, I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in, and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes, and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new Cantina Chicken Menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high quality ingredients like seasoned, slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new. Cantina, chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. So I jotted down kind of the locks for the playoffs where like AFC, Casey, Pitt, Balt. those three are in, right? I'm just put, putting mm-hmm. them in. I don't, I don't see any scenario where we don't have the Chiefs, Steelers, and Ravens in the playoffs. You That's also correct. have... And AFC East and AFC South team, which makes five. So um, let's put Buffalo in. Let's say Tennessee wins tonight against Indy. So we'll give Tennessee that spot. That gives us two more spots for Cleveland, Vegas, Miami, and the second place AFC South team, which will be, I'm guessing Indy. Who knows? Could be Tennessee, but it'll be Mm -hmm. one of those four. So two of those teams are going to make the playoffs. Cleveland, Vegas, Miami, the second-tier Tennessee-Indianapolis team. Who are your two? Okay.
1: So this is going to be a little bit controversial. I think Cleveland, and I think think Miami. So at some point, we have to look at the schedules here. And I don't want to make this whole thing about schedules, but with (laughs) Cleveland, they have Jets, Jaguars, Giants, Texans, Eagles. Okay. They're
0: basically guaranteed nine wins unless yeah. they have a disastrous loss when they're like at least like an eight-point favorite. So am I
1: worried that Baker went on the COVID list this week? Sure, but it looks like that he's gonna play and all that stuff. Kevin Stefanski is a really good coach. That roster is really good. They were able to everybody was early on them, including me. And they were able to see kind of the post-hype and then plug the holes and, and get get the offensive line squared away. I figure out what they need. I guess there apparently is the the Odell Beckham Ewing theory appears to be real at this point because of how their offense is just functioning.
0: Glad you brought that
1: up. (laughs) I was kind of against it at first, but then I, I, you know, a lot of people are a lot of people who Richard Sherman was the first person basically say, "Hey, it's just flowing better uh, when you don't get locked on that one target." And then I think a lot of people have have kind of come around to, including me. Now, I think that. Andrew Barry, their, their GM, is one of the best young GMs in football. I think he's the youngest ever. And I just think that this is getting to be, I don't want to jinx it, this is getting to be a well-run organization. And I think that they understand the position to put Baker in. And I think that I think they're probably going to make
0: the playoffs. I have Miami in there. They're plus 180 to make the playoffs. They're down to uh, basically four and a half to one to win the division. Which would be a tall task. They'd have to beat Buffalo when they go head to head, and then somehow yeah, make tough. up another game. That's Cleveland tough. is yes to make the playoffs right now in Fanduel minus one thirty eight. No is plus one fourteen. Here's the case for them not making the playoffs because you mentioned they the t- play the
1: tiebreaker. The tiebreaker with the Raiders it goes to Las Vegas,
0: right? So you got that. You they play the two New York teams which you mentioned, and Jacksonville. So, literally, it'd be really hard not to win those three games. Although the Giants have, there's a little hop in their step lately. The Um, D-line? D-lines? The Cleveland this week against Houston, I feel like will give us our answer on whether they're a playoff team or not. They're favored by three and a half right now on FanDuel. Houston, I, I don't know. They might be able to throw on them. They might be able to move the ball. It seems like the kind of dumb game that the Browns in the past have lost when people have just penciled them in in a picks pool. You bet on Cleveland, you put them in a money line parlay, and then all of a sudden they're down 10 nothing, and you're going, what the hell is going on? They do get Nick Chubb back this week, which we'll talk about later. But uh, I, I'm, I'm almost not ready to pick until I see that game on whether I think they can make it or not. Because I do think they could totally lose to Houston. As weird as that sounds.
1: The Texans... I I think
0: this is weird
1: because I've been talking about the Texans being a tire fire for many years now. Yeah. And I actually think we haven't been talking enough about it. Like, I feel like I should have been... I feel like I've undersold. You should have how disastrous owned that the Texans. There's a piece I, I, of turf that was there. You didn't grab it. Like I should have moved my family to Houston in order to be, <laughs> and and just stood outside the stadium and said, "What the hell is going on here?" Because this yeah. looks really bad right now. They were able to beat the Jaguars. Congratulations! But I think that I, I'm with you in the sense that if they beat the Browns next this week, something is, is seriously wrong. I just don't think that's much of a possibility.
0: So I had. Here's why they probably won't. They have the 28th rush defense by DVOA. Um, And they're the 32nd running team by DVOA. And that's like against the Browns. You want to be able to stop their run and you want to be able to run on them. They can't do either. Um, On the same time, we haven't had that crazy Deshaun Watson, oh my God game yet. So who knows? Anyway, I have Miami as one of the two. And then it's process of, elim- I think Miami's is going to make it. I think Miami's is good at the plus one I, I like that. Uh, so process of elimination, the indie stuff's alarming. Like the quarterback situation is alarming. And the fact that <laughs> Taylor, who is their big, you know, ca- kind of ceiling guy who is losing his job or maybe already lost his job. And they were counting him. T Y Hilton's already hurt. And, uh, there's just a lot of bad signs with them. I don't like the look of it, especially they jump out 7 nothing to Baltimore and then basically don't score again. They get one field goal. I'm very concerned about them, and I would not feel good about saying that that's a playoff team.
1: I agree. I thought that this was going to be... I thought Phillip Rivers was the missing piece, and yeah. I've been a little bit Disappointed in that, and, and I thought that roster was going to be able to. <laughs> wait, how do you get? <laughs> well, no. How do you get
0: fully disappointed? <laughs> what wait, what else do they have to let's, do? Let's, Take a shit. Let's not.
1: Let's not. <laughs> let's not. Listen, they lost to the Ravens. Okay, like let's not Kay. throw everything out here. This is let's the, weird, the Jaguars. <laughs> early in the season, the, I, I I think that every team that's been okay. Need some sliver of patience here, especially when they're trying new things like like bringing a new quarterback into it. Because again, we can't say this is the weirdest season of all time for some teams, but not others. Okay, fair. Darius Leonard looked elite last week, and he looked like you know one of the best athletes playing linebacker in the NFL. I mean, there are some things I still like about this team to where when I look at them, I say, okay, I understand why I fell in love with this team, but and and I picked them doing the AFC East. I, I I don't, I'm not ready to give up on them. I'm just saying that I thought they'd be, they'd be rolling a lot
0: more right now. Well, in classic BS podcast fashion, we're taping this before the Tennessee Indianapolis game. So God only knows what's going to happen to make one of us sound oh, super God. dumb. Oh God. Vegas has the corpse of the Denver. I'm, I'm
1: going to break in. I'm going to break into to Kyle's house and, and steal the tapes. If, <laughs> uh, the, if they lose four the nothing tonight. Yeah.
0: Uh, Vegas has the corpse of Denver this week, a tough Sunday night, Kansas city game, Atlanta, the jets, a possible Colts corpse situation in week 14, the chargers who will lose in the last minute. Cause that's what they do. Miami week 16 at Denver week 17. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that is an incredibly favorable schedule. I really like it for them and that. I think I'm going Miami-Vegas. So you're going Miami-Cleveland. I'm Cleveland, going Miami-Vegas yeah. for those two. Isn't it,
1: isn't it amazing how much of a competitive advantage the teams that play the
0: Jets have in the playoff race? God.
1: I mean, it's really, like, the league should step in.
0: Well, we'll talk during Million Dollar Picks about how bad I think the Patriots are because they, they barely beat the Jets. Like, if the Jets just get a first down <laughs> with five minutes left, we lose to the Jets. We lose to One Joe the, Flacco. We were,
1: we were texting about this earlier, and I don't want to get into the, the Ravens-Pats thing yet. But I will say, part of the problem here is that I've known you for four and a half years. I've very rarely heard you say a positive thing about the Patriots. Ah, uh, and so it, it's true. I've waited no, on you're, them. You're, you've wait, but that's. But I'm saying when we have these discussions. Oh, well, that's you're my always, pro- I, It's part of my yeah. process, right? And- <laughs> I have a process. So I'm down. sorry. It's just when I'm texting with you today. And we're talking about this and you're saying, oh, the Pats can't do this. I can't even tell what's real because well, as far as you're being down on the Pats, because it's kind of, you know, you're doing You've done this in Super Bowl that's years, fair. for
0: instance. Do you want me so to say that, a couple of nice things about the Pats? I really like Damian Harris, even though I think I don't even know when he's playing again after <laughs> Jacob, he got destroyed Jacobi in a Jets game. Jacoby yeah, Myers. Myers and Birds have been pretty good. And, uh, and I've been shocked by how good Nick Falk has been. I actually think his field goals are going through now. I did not feel that way two months ago. So there are are three positive things. Um, All right, NFC locks. I'm just going to pencil in Green Bay, the Saints, NFC East winner, NFC West winner. So there's four. Okay. The last three spots, two NFC West teams. So whoever doesn't win the division out of Seattle, Zona, and the Rams, and then Tampa. And it's a wrap, Mm -hmm. which... Begs the question, do we really already know who the seven NFC playoff teams are? Because I feel like we do. It Is there looks anybody... That way. The,
1: o- the only thing would be the Bears, who have a very uh, easy schedule. But I have, I have just... I cannot even watch the Bears anymore. I mean, to go, it, to go play the Titans and basically solve... The Titans have so many flaws, and the Bears solved all of them. It was mm. unbelievable. They had the worst third-down defense in history, and the Bears was like, oh, we'll just just not convert more than two third downs. It's fine. The the, the Titans couldn't generate any pass rush until they played the Bears. Like I, I think this Bears team is just... Uh, they Mathematically, they're still in it, and when I look at their schedule, if they were another team, I would look at their circumstances and tell you they were still in it. I'm looking at this Bears team and telling you they're not still in it. I'm overruling math here.
0: Completely agree. It's one of the... I, I like Bears fans. I like how realistic they are about their own team. Sure. I think it's a rare trait for a football fan base. And they're about as out on this Bears team as they've been yes. in a while. The, co- the coaching, QB, pace, all the dumb things they do, it's really strange. Um, I'm going to make a tiny case for the Vikings, just that we should Me have too. talked yeah. about them for I was two minutes. About it. They're three and five. They actually have some momentum. They beat Green Bay, they killed Detroit last week. They're playing Chicago this week, Monday night. They get through that, they're four and five. Dallas, the next week, that's five and five. Carolina, Jacksonville, the next two. There is a world, and we see this. I remember when I, when I had my column. You know, I used to be a writer, Kevin, way back when. Um, <laughs> I used to always write about the week eight, week nine flip team, right? It was always yeah. a team that was one and five, two and five, uh, two and six. Mm-hmm. In the second half of the year, they came on like a freight train. You have this Minnesota team starts out one and five. There's a world in which they're seven and five coming off that Jacksonville win in week 13. And then rest of the way, there would be Tampa at Tampa, home Chicago at New Orleans at Detroit. You split two of those, you get to nine and seven, and that might be a seven seed. It might be. So I
1: want to talk about Minnesota too, because I didn't even see them on the sports book and to make the playoffs, because I think that that's wouldn't be a a, a bad long shot. You think and, you think you think Fandu just got
0: scared and took him off <laughs> cowards come on no, I might
1: I may have just missed it but I, I did a control F and couldn't find it but with with Cook you know this is an Occam's razor season I have said this for for five months and if you can do one thing well you can just keep doing it over and over and over again Kirk Cousins is not going to single-handedly lift you to an elite second half of the season yeah but Dalvin Cook has two hundred and six yards last week and one hundred and sixty three yards uh, the week before he had over two hundred uh, all purpose yards against the Packers. he set all sorts of records for uh, yards in Lambeau field, okay, and I kind of think he can do that for the next eight weeks, and I think that there's two things I don't want to be morbid here, but if the if there's a game cancelled that matters in the playoff race, I'm sure you saw on Tuesday, the NFL said that they will expand the playoffs to eight teams. Which is I don't know. Important. By
0: the way, I have no idea what that does to the playoff bets. I, they probably take them off they're, the table at that point. They're, yeah, vo- they're, they're voided. voided.
1: I, I actually looked that up. I lo- yeah. looked at the
0: fine print. Um, if it's
1: not seven, te- seven teams per conference, it's voided. Um, so from a betting standpoint, that, that that's irrelevant. But from a competitive standpoint, that obviously does matter if there's a team that gets to eight and eight or nine and seven. So I think that's a huge thing um, yeah. right now. And then I just I just like this Vikings team. I mean, there's a reason I picked them. I think I picked them to make the playoffs or, or close to it uh, at, the, at the beginning of the season because I think they do have talent. I'm generally higher on Kirk Cousins than most people because I think that he can just sort of go as his supporting cast does, even though he makes some of these these mistakes. I think you can, you can put him in, in the position to succeed. And so I, I kind of, you know, Gary Kubiak, I kind of like it. I kind of like I, a nice little run
0: here. I did Fanduel totally cowardly with the NFC North North bet, all that stuff with the Vikings. But they do have an over-under for wins, which is 7.5. So, so you can bet on the Vikings going 8-8 eight, eight, or 9-7, 1-15. They, the, they, they have the Jags, the Cowboys, and then the Lions as well. The problem with that forward. bet is it's like, let's go to Minnesota, watch Dalvin yeah. Cook. It feels like he pulled something, and now he's on the cart. And it's like okay, that bet's gone. So a uh, couple playoff bets, quick. Indy, yes, minus one thirty-eight. No, plus one fourteen to make the playoffs. I kind of like the no. Granted, they'll from throw an odd in our standpoint. Face.
1: Yeah, just from an odd standpoint, I would go with no. Chargers are twenty to one. So the Chargers have the best four-man rush in the NFL right now.
0: They have the most fun That's quarterback in the history of the league.
1: They he's completely. Impervious to the blitzing and pressure. I mean, he's like, he's amazing. He could throw it 65 amazing. yards
0: on the fly, off somebody his ba- in stride. Off
1: his back foot. Yeah. Off his back foot. And he looks like he's 12. Uh, he looks like he's 12. Um, at some point, is, is there like a, an argument that at some point they're just going to win just eight straight games that they shouldn't? Like, luck is just going to
0: overload them? I mean, they could get to nine and seven and nine and seven could absolutely make the playoffs. But they, unfortunately, they've lost to a lot of the people they'd be in the tiebreaker with. You could right.
1: you could all, you could just bet Herbert rookie of the year. If you
0: twenty to. to one. I think twenty to one is is probably too high considering nine and seven makes it. Um uh, the the Pats, yes, is plus five eighty. Mm-hmm. I would strongly encourage people against that. Carolina's yes was fourteen <sighs> to one. I was trying to figure out a way that would happen, but with McCaffrey injured, I think that's probably they're three I don't and know, six man. right they, now. They,
1: they were okay without McCaffrey.
0: No, I mean if they're three and six, they'd yeah. have to go. Six and one, rest of the way, and yeah. they actually have a hard schedule. So, Dallas is plus 870. <laughs> if you just wanted a short Philly and ride some sort of when Andy Dalton oh. comes back, this could happen. Thing.
1: Oh, oh, when Andy Dalton comes back, that'll solve everything.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm just saying, plus 870. Arizona is <laughs> minus 160 to make the playoffs, and the Rams are minus 225. And some places allow you to parlay those. I would actually parlay Arizona and the Rams together because I think both of them make it. Mm-hmm. So There you go. All right. We're going to take one more break and then do Million Dollar Picks. All right. Million Dollar Picks coming up in one second. First, add a little excitement to your sports watching experience by betting on all the action on FanDuel Sportsbook this football season. There's a reason why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Simple app, great odds on different betting markets, unique fun bet types like Same Game Parlay, exclusive always on promotions to let you get a little more action out of every game day. And if you win. They even get your winning safely in as little as 24 hours. They've been an awesome partner for us. Right now, FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Place bet on any game. FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win your first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get your entire bet up to $1,000 back in site credit. We're going to talk about some possible games right now on Million Dollar Picks. But if you've never tried FanDuel Sportsbook, by the way, we're using uh, FanDuel lines for all the picks. What are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started. Be sure you sign up with promo code BS so they know I sent you. FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code BS must be 21 plus present in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, and Tennessee. First online real money wager only site credit non-withdrawable expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, Iowa, 800 bets off Indiana, 809 with it, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, 800 gambler, Tennessee, 800-889-9789, or visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, million dollar picks. Last week our first losing week in 2 months. Lost $725,000 thanks to uh the Seattle Seahawks who let me down and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who just rolled over and died. Did hit on the Miami money line for plus 175, saving uh, a disastrous thing. So I'm down 186,000 for the year. I really like this slate. We're going to go through the games quick. Um first one. This is a tease. I'm just, I'm giving you one side of the tease. We're going to have to figure out who else is in it. The Ravens are six and a half point favorites over the Pats. They have the fifth rushing offense by DVOA, the Ravens. They're, um, there's a little edge to them because people have just kicked them to the side of the curb. Meanwhile, their defense is playing great. The Pats defense, 31st in DVOA. And DVOA matters now because we have big enough sample size. They're not just okay. 31st. Their 30th pass, 31st rush. They're terrible in every capacity. They have no push at all. Their front seven's awful. And the Ravens D is first against, in rushing DVOA. The only thing the Pats can do is run the ball and they're going against the best run defense in the league. Every single sign I look at with this game says that the Pats are going to get killed. Now I'm happy to tease it down or I'm happy to just lay the minus six and a half. But Kevin, make the case.
1: Make, make the, the case, case the they Patriots? don't get killed.
0: Make the case okay. they hang around. Just tell sure. me why they're in this game in the fourth quarter. Sure, I, I can make the case.
1: So Lamar Jackson comes out and says something that I think a lot of people were, have been talking about the past couple of weeks, which is that the, the defense knows what the plays are going to be, and they were calling them out. So he goes in the Rich Eisen show and says that this week. Uh, I think that there's Dan Orlovsky did a great breakdown of this on NFL Live today, actually, about just how predictable some of these looks are. And this is something that Listen, I don't want to flip this with with Lamar here because he had one of the best infrastructures in football last year. And I don't want to say he's with an offensive coordinator is failing him, or whatever. I don't want to go that far. OK, Nick Wright was on Newsday last week and he said that Lamar Jackson is the Giannis of of the of the NFL. I don't want to go that far because it completely. That's I got to say
0: that that's a great take. I might <laughs> still I'm going to steal that two weeks from now. Pretend I didn't remember you told me that one. That's a really good one. <laughs>
1: I, I, I don't necessarily agree because I think that the Ravens have done so much more for for Lamar uh, to ha- to
0: put him in position to succeed. They're it's both... still a great take. I'm not saying oh, I no, agree with great it. Take. It's just, there, just a wonderful take.
1: Lamar is an amazing quarterback, and I thought he would take a little further step with, you know, John Harbaugh was talking about his deep passing and stuff in, in the offseason, and I thought there'd be a little bit more of that. But there's just a little bit of of... Uh, predictability with this offense. And I think now that the Ravens are probably going to try to be super unpredictable this weekend because of that. Okay. And I think there might be some, some hiccups there. That would be my only thought, or they remain predictable in which Belichick can, can figure it out. So do you think they're predictable
0: because they simplified stuff for Lamar so they could run this specific type of offense and teams have just figured it out? What is it? So I did a piece
1: in January where I talked to, to a bunch of people about this, and essentially they were saying that they were only running, a, you know, a pretty small playbook out of a million different looks. Okay, and they were that that works. There's a lot of teams that do that. A lot of teams mm-hmm. that do that, but at some point when you just get enough tape on you, people know. Um, and so you know, Arlovsky was saying, especially when they went into empty sets. That they were run, basically running the same plays, and I think that the point he made was they made the they ran the, the same exact play on the first play of the game than the first play of the second half, and and I think that at some point that defenses just start to figure that out, and so I don't think that they were running. I mean, listen, any team. I remember Albert Breer reported this that basically the Patriots knew if they drafted Lamar Jackson that they had to change everything. Okay, yeah, and so it's not like you know any team would have had to change their offense for Lamar Jackson. And the Ravens did it as well as any team could. And so But I just think that they probably need to get a little bit more multiple. And I think that there's probably something there. I think that I don't think that Lamar Jackson is painting a picture in which the defense is sitting there and saying, we know every play you're going to run. I'm just saying that if, if he's coming out and saying that there's obviously some some problems there. And there's some run past tells that need to be addressed.
0: Is nephew Kyle still awake? Nephew Kyle. <laughs> You there? Do you me, remember that night when we watched the draft in my office and we didn't take Lamar Jackson? Yeah. Just wanted to bring that up. I um, watched
1: that. Dra- I watched that draft with Mallory and she yeah, had a different reaction than you. <laughs>
0: uh, okay. I think we're going to get killed this week and I'm not doing that. And the, Oh, re- I'm reverse saying I, this Pat's team, their, their defensive front seven is really bad. It's really bad, and I go. It's going to be like when they went against the Niners, and the Niners were just running for seven yards of play, and it was like, oh, yeah. four minutes in the game, it's like, oh, this is over. I also don't think the Pats can play from behind. Anyway, mark that one down. Next mm. one, um, cards. Well, by the bills. way, I just
1: want—I just want to say, I, the, the the Ravens are going to win that game. I'm just—I was yeah. just making the case for it to be no. I, a I'm weird with you. Game.
0: Yeah, we're okay. marking it down. Next one, cards. Bills. Cards favored by one and a half. Uh, Arizona 11th DVOA Buffalo 13th Buffalo coming off a great win cards coming off a dumb loss. It's in Arizona. People feeling good about Josh Allen. I thought Warren Sharp made a good case for the bills last week on ringer NFL about how their offense had looked bad, but the circumstances were weird in a couple games where bad weather, one game, the other one was the COVID game. They're preparing for one team. All of a sudden they're playing the Titans and their offense looked really good last week. Then again, it's against Seattle as you said earlier, Murray is getting better week after week after week. I like the line. I, I do feel like this should be in that one and a half to two and a half range. Basically, the cards just have to win. Um, not a must-win for Buffalo. They're seven and two. Different conference is a must win for the cards. I just like the cards team more. I know, uh, I know the Bills looked great last week, but uh I believe in this cards team, and I said this Sunday night. I think that Cardinals-Dolphins game, it's not far-fetched to think that could have been the Super Bowl. I, I'm not saying it could happen, but I'm saying if you gave me like 75-1 to 1 odds on that, I I would look at it because I think both of those teams are good. Anyway, uh, cards minus one and a half. I like that one. Anything you would talk me out of here?
1: No, I mean, I, I love both of these teams. I love the depth in Buffalo and I just love kind of what I flicked out earlier, which is their ability to to win in different ways. I think the Bills showed me something last week, as far as just the depth they had, you know, AJ Klein coming out and having an amazing game guys like that. And I'm so in a year again, where there's so much about adaptability, just to have the ability to have people come in for injured guys is, is that's the game. And so taking advantage of a terrible Seahawks defense that wanted to let you pass on them, uh, having guys everywhere who are making plays that shouldn't, I love that Bill's team, but I think the Cardinals probably win.
0: I, on FanDuel, Arizona and Miami to win their conferences, Miami's 28 to one, Cardinals are 15 to one. And if you combine those two, it's 460 plus 463. That seems high. Is that possible? It's a pretty good long shot bet. Might have send to send it put, in. Might have to put some wood on that one. Uh, all right. We both like the cards. Yeah. Josh Allen is Josh Allen. Just seems like he's ready to break some hearts when we get to January. I, I it's going to be some gamblers. Hearts are going to be broken. Next one. Dolphins chargers. Another team we've talked about, uh, this is a little different dolphins coming off a really inspiring win. Actually two yeah. inspiring wins in a row. Plus the whole, Oh good. Two is actually good. This is great thing. Um, with some COVID stuff with them this week, including Kyle van Noy chargers coming off. You had another awful loss. Um, I like the Dolphins here for a variety of reasons, not just because I've been in on them the last couple of weeks. I've been riding them. The one thing they're not great at is stopping the run. I feel like you can run on them and have long drives on them. Well, what are the Chargers not good at running the ball, especially since Ek was out? They're 27th in DBOA uh rushing. The chart. the Dolphins rush D is 29th. I just like the matchup for the Dolphins because I I think it's they they can get stops if you're throwing on them when they need to. And I think they can move the ball. I think they're going to be able to move the ball on the Chargers. The the thing with the Chargers, where he's never 100% or he's out yeah. in big drives. And it's it just, and every time they show him on the sidelines, it looks like he's 210 pounds. And this is the guy they rely on basically for their entire pass rush. I don't get that. Also, like if you're on the Chargers and you're just losing this way week after week, at some point you break. And I feel like they're due for a terrible game where it's like maybe this isn't the one where we lose by two actually where we lose by 28 and we suck and fuck this they're due for one of those games so anyway i like the dolphins so
1: i think i like the dolphins but i will say this about a matchup problem so pff had this this week that the Chargers have the lowest blitz rate in the league and still create pressure within two and a half seconds 30 percent of the time okay that's the second best mark in the league and the dolphins offensive line can be beaten. Rams Tua did it. has yep, Tua has made mistakes. Uh, listen, anybody's going to make mistakes if there's a defensive tackle in their face as soon as they get the ball. And so I think you might see some uncharacter I guess it's too early to say if it's uncharacteristic mistakes, but you might see some mistakes that way, but I actually like I'm a little bit worried. We don't know the status. Kyle Van Noy and Christian Wilkins were both put on the COVID list on on uh, Thursday afternoon. We don't know the status of those guys. It uh, could be very close. I like the Dolphins in a vacuum.
0: Here's the case against them, other than what you just mentioned. The Dolphins fans are out of their mind right now. They're so pumped. They're the they're the guy in the desert who just got a bottled water and some saltines, and they feel like they've won the lottery. And If we, if we've learned anything with sports and you know, because you, you, you're an Orlando magic fan, you're used to getting kicked in the nuts as hard as possible. This does feel like it could be a kick in the nuts game where it's like, this is great. We win this. And then if the bills can lose, then we're a game back. And you just start thinking ahead and, and, and yet you actually have to win the game. And as you said, now the chargers, they're getting some pressure on Tua and it's like, oh my God, we're down to Tua throws a bad pick. There's a scenario where the Dolphins fans are doing the "Oh my god, why why did I let my guard down?" I don't know if it's I, this game or next week, but it's coming.
1: I lived in Miami during the Wildcat year, two thousand eight. Oh yeah, and I've never seen a fan base go from zero to one hundred quite like that because they were one of fifteen the year before. They only won one game because Greg Camarillo had that overtime touchdown, and then all of a sudden they beat the Pats in September the next year, and then mm. they host a playoff game against the Ravens. I've never seen a city just. I go because in 2007 there was just nothing there was just no Dolphins presence anywhere and then it went again 0 for 100 and the air that came out of that city when the Ravens came in and just stuffed them in a trash can it was really it was one of the kind of
0: sneaky underrated sad cities uh, uh, that I've experienced in, in journalism I like when the Dolphins are good When I was growing up, they would kick the Patriots ass every year and we would always like, it would come down to the last game of the season or some dumb shit or, or they would just beat us (laughs) twice. And Reno, at least in the first part of his career, um, was just terrifying. But, uh, I'm just Dolphins chargers, by the way, uh, one of the most way before your time, but probably, probably my favorite non Patriot playoff game I've ever watched. The hook and ladder. I yeah. can't tell you how exciting it was in the moment when they did it. It was honestly like I I, I can't even describe. No, I didn't even know what it was. What happened? <laughs> Dick had a heart attack. It worked. It was just like, oh my god, you could do that. It was it was amazing. That whole game was amazing. I remember I yeah, watched I, it. I I've watched it on uh, NFL Films. It's really great.
1: It's really yeah. fun. It feels like modern football. It feels um, like it's probably on YouTube. Everyone should probably watch that game.
0: Oh my god. Uh, all right. Panthers, Bucks. Panthers three and six. No, McCaffrey. This is kind of end of the line for them. Looked awesome against the Chiefs last week. Bucks, a little dissension coming off an awful game. God only knows what's going on. They're still second in DVOA. It's a bounce back game. It's the kind of game you just pencil in and you say, nah, Tampa, they come back this week. And yet that Panthers team. Has a way of rising or falling to whoever their competition is, and it's like, all right, we're playing a top five team. Watch this, and we're up 17 to seven in the second quarter. They're really well coached. I, I think that David Tepper, who seemed like kind of an arrogant dick, when he took over no. the t- well, he, when he took over the team, it was kind of like, oh, now now you'll see, you know, I know my stuff, and I was really successful in this line, I'll I- be successful here." And, and yet he hired a great coach, and he did a good job. I don't think he came off as arrogant or anything like that. I've never met the guy.
1: I will say the, the one funny thing he did, not funny, but he fired a bunch of people or had layoffs. And then they were like, why'd you do this? And he was like, well, I think it was, I think it's, you know, it's not fair to those people to, to not have anything to do. So I just fired him and he was making it seem like he, it was like doing them a favor by firing them. He's like, well, they didn't have much to do. So <laughs> yeah. During
0: COVID. Sounds great, David. Well, he hired a great coach. And, uh, anyway, they're getting five and a half points in their home. Carolina Tampa games are usually weird. It's a division game. It feels yeah. like this could be a three point game. um I think the the bucks can i mean uh the Panthers can move the ball, and there's cheap touchdown potential too. So I just wanted to flag this one because this this could be one where you're down eleven with three minutes left and you still get the cheap touchdown. I also think whatever is going on with the bucks I mean, we all saw it on Sunday night, but the, fa- the fact that they can't figure out how to unlock Evans at all and they can't figure out a running game at all and just basic stuff that you would need to build a lead um, makes me wonder about them being favored like this on the road.
1: Okay. Uh, I think that they have significantly more talent. I think that again, Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator of the Panthers, is awesome, and he should be, and probably will be a head coach this time next year. Yeah, but I think that you've seen enough of pissed off Tom Brady to sort of know what happens next. He's going to be just absolutely screaming at guys all all week long. I think that they the fixes are probably pretty easy, and I think that you know I don't think the Antonio Brown signing was was very good um, for the franchise going forward. But I think that at some point uh, you can unlock him. And I I think that this is probably like a two touchdown Bucks win. Okay, guess. the Bucks have a lot of talent on their roster. I mean, I you know they have one of the best cornerbacks in football. You know, pair them with the DC, that defensive line. I I'm I'm in on this Bucks team.
0: I was all in too until they um they ruined million dollar picks and and Sunday Night Football last week. Then that wasn't as in. That was just my take. Antonio Brown, when you bring him in, I think the equivalent uh, of like. Like if the ringer just hired Antonio Brown and they're like, Hey guys, good news. Antonio Brown is going to join the ringer and he's going to be coming to the office and doing football videos and podcasts. The general reaction would be like, what, why? What do you mean? Huh? Um, yeah. Anyway, next one. (laughs) I got three more quickies. Texans, Browns, (laughs) Texans, Browns. We talked about. Yeah. You like the Browns. I I,
1: I hate this Texans team.
0: Yeah. So the rub, the rub, the reason to stay away from this is I'm with you. I hate this Texas team. Plus you're betting on Romeo Crennel, which I never suggest. And if you bet on R- Romeo Crennel for Great more than four hours, see a doctor. Great um, guy.
1: What did you, hey, what did you think of Belichick's excuse making to Charlie Weiss? Did you follow the exact like interview thing? The fact that he the first person he said, Oh, well, we were capped out to was he called into Charlie Weiss's
0: radio show. Feels like a plant bill. Belichick has taken no responsibility for the last five drafts. I just want to hear him say it once. Hey, we missed on some drafts. Just say it. It's not hard. I was surprised. We all have football reference. That. We can all go look at I the was, drafts and be like, I was "Wow, you did that." We have no all pros. Okay, next one. Bengals plus six and a half against the Steelers. There's garbage time touchdown potential here. Oh, yeah. There's Joey covers coming off a of bye. They looked really good two weeks ago. The The rub is the Steelers are undefeated <laughs> and since he's 31st <laughs> in DBOA good. and you have Roethlisberger with a weird COVID thing. I guess that would be one reason this line's moved so, down. It's dropped two plus points. Um, sure. So they,
1: they, beat, they beat the Cowboys by five points last week. The Cowboys might be the worst team in football, non-Jets division. They have not won a game by... And again, they're undefeated. They're great. I think they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender, but they haven't won a game by more than four points in the last three weeks. They beat the Titans by three, beat the Ravens by four. I just think they're not... There could be... I don't think the Bengals are going to win. I would not be surprised if this was a four-point game. I love Joe Burrow.
0: They've played one game where you left the... The Steelers have played one game where you left the game and you said, oh, they're really good. And that was Cleveland 38-7. to Other than that, every week, even when they win, you're kind of like, eh, I mean, even that Baltimore game, they're down by 10, two hours into the game.
1: And Ben Ben not practicing. The fact that Mike Tomlin, and this, again, it's not funny, but Mike Tomlin was asked, you know, are you concerned about Ben not practicing? And Mike Tomlin was like, absolutely not. Like this is, Ben is just sort of perpetually banged up a little bit.
0: Yeah. Okay. We'll mark that one down. Got one. Let's do this quickly. Just Washington plus four and a half against the Lions. Um, the case is this. Washington has the best pass defense in the entire league. Mm-hmm. The Lions are a team that just throws the ball. The Lions four and a half. We're gonna get Alex Smith. Um basically the case is should the Lions be favored by more than four points over anybody except the two New York teams or Jacksonville.
1: Do you think Matt Patricia is rattled that Tony Larissa stole his worst coach in America crown?
0: <laughs> so you like the Lions a little bit more? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that <laughs> uh, Washington. Washington's bad. No. Washington lost to the 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 reason to stay away the is Washington lost to the Giants last week.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that. Listen, I think that there's a a case to be made for both teams here. I think, I think, I like Detroit here, despite Matt Patricia. I think that I I, I think Matthew Stafford, who was again had some some weird. Covid stuff this week. Uh, as long as he can play, I think that there's, you know, I think that they have a baseline of success, and I think that they can beat the Washington football team. This is my guess. Okay.
0: Last one. Um, all right. So Washington plus one seventy two, according to FanDuel, to win that game outright. Last one. Rams Seahawks. I should have had this one higher on the list because I like the Rams. Rams minus two. Pretty they're pretty even with the dvoa all that stuff um they've played each other a million times obviously the big thing for me with the rams is how horrible seattle's defense is and i don't mind goff against bad defenses i mind him against good defenses but you know could the rams make wilson run around have teams started to figure out seattle a little bit and you know wilson looked pretty mortal last week yeah they, by the I, way, I, they they can't run the ball at all. They, the Carson Hyde thing's been really bad for them, and uh, I like the spot for the Rams. I don't know if every week they would beat them, but I like them this week coming off a bye.
1: So I love the Rams' defensive coordinator Brandon Staley, and you know, there's I, I talked about this a couple weeks ago on my show, but there was a PFF piece that I thought was amazing about how basically he is he's bringing the college sort of revolution that's come to offenses. He's bringing that to defenses and he's able to stop the run without playing the run. So he's got more guys out to stop the passing game. He he's, he's really good. And that defense starts there. And so I think that Wilson might struggle a little bit. I don't think, I think Wilson has a baseline of success where you're, you're always going to be pretty good. I think that mortality for him is, is relative. I think he's, He's still an MVP candidate and will remain so. Uh I'm more concerned right now with the Seahawks defense. Jamal Adams has essentially through through half the season has just not been worth two first round picks. He might not be worth one first round pick.
0: He's, and, by the way, kind of a polarizing guy in football circles, where some people love him and other people are just like, Yeah, he can only do like two things and that's not he's not blitz, a difference maker for two first rounders.
1: Right. And they're blitzing them now. They're giving up explosive plays all over the place because they can't generate... And this is like a football-wide thing. If you can't do what you, 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 the whole thing relies on, you're screwed, okay? And the four-man rush for the Seahawks was able to solve so many problems for them over the past decade. And yeah. now they have to start sending guys they wouldn't normally send, all that stuff. just to try to generate anything. And there's a lot of problems in the Seahawks defense, but that's one of them. And so the giving up explosive plays uh, can't stop anybody. I think that they're still a Super Bowl contender because I, you know, I I just believe in Russell Wilson that much. I think Pete Carroll's a good coach. But I, I think that the Rams, I think the Rams might be a little bit better right now.
0: I also like you're getting a free point here because I think this line should be Rams by three. So case against the Rams would be Jared Goff against Russell Wilson and you're not betting on Russell Wilson. That would be one case. Um, and then the Rams are 4-0 against the NFC East and below 500 against everyone else would be the two cases. I was shook by
1: Pete Carroll in the post-game press conference after last week saying, I don't know why they did the, the Bills didn't run the ball more. And it's just like, I love Pete Carroll. We love him. Ringer contributor, all that. But th- you can pass 90 times against the Seahawks and never becomes less successful. Why would you ever run? I was, I'm surprised he's su- that they ever ran.
0: Right. Oh, Long well. shot parlay of the week. Here are the possibilities. Bengals plus 235. Panthers plus 205. Niners plus 320. If you're feeling a little Niners comeback game, you feeling that at all? Tiny bit against the <laughs> Saints. Saints coming off an awesome win. It seems far-fetched. I, um, I mean,
1: the, ni- the Niners are getting their guys back, and but the Saints are just really good. Oh, so you're saying there's a chance plus 320. Listen, you play the Packers without Trent Williams, Brandon Ayuk, and Debo Samuel, you're going to get your ass kicked. That was not a surprise for me.
0: I do think the line's a tiny bit high. All right. So, what, Niners plus 320. Giants are plus 146. I, I just can't ever bet on the Giants. Texans plus 160. You hate the Texans. Washington oh, is plus 172. So, we'll narrow it down. Get rid of the Panthers. Bengals plus two thirty five, we both like. Niners plus three twenty, we both like. And Washington plus one seventy two, I think would be the three candidates. What do you think? To, you got to team two of those together for the long shot parlay of the week. Bengals, Bengals, Bengals are in. Let's put them in.
1: Okay.
0: To to end the Steelers, end the Steelers streak. <laughs> Joey covers, but we need one more. Who's the second one? Who are so you, you leaning do, towards there? You do Niners. Yeah. Ooh, Niners, it's pl- It's over 14 to one if those both hit. Niners, Bengals, plus 1430. Bet $100, you win 1,430. That's one option. And then the other one would be, what did we say, Washington? Yeah. Washington, yeah. the Washington football team. That one is plus 825. You know what? I think I'm gonna put. I think I'm gonna do both. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna. I I'm like gonna that. I'm gonna sprinkle both. We'll make the Bengals the anchor team. Any uh, any money lines you like straight up or no?
1: Uh, no. Okay. Any stick out to you?
0: I think that Niners plus three twenty is fun.
1: Yeah. I was th- I, listen. The Niners have one of the best coaches in football. They've still got some talent there. I think we've all kind of throwing them in the trash can because of some of their injuries, but they can still beat
0: anybody if they're full strength. Yeah, I think that's fun. Million dollar picks week 10. Here's what we're doing, Kevin Clark. Teaser. Ravens minus six and a half over the Patriots. And then Kevin talked me into this. Bucks minus five and a half against the Panthers. (laughs) Both teams just have to win. Just win. We're going to be putting $300,000 on that. Cardinals, at home, minus one and a half over the Bills. Kyler Murray for life, 300000 Kyler, here's the suitcase of money. Do your job. Dolphins, minus two and a half against the pathetic Chargers. Pathetic as in they get close every week and they blow it. My fear with this, is there any way the Chargers cover this but don't win? The minus two and a half, do you get scared of that at all? Isn't everything in play with the Chargers? God, every do- dolphin's money line. Oh, that line's down to one and a half. Dolphins are minus one twenty. I'm just t- I'm taking the dolphins minus one twenty, uh, just to win. So we're doing okay. that. We're gonna put three sixty to win three hundred thousand on that. And then last but not least, the Rams, the team that Sean McVay once upon a time called Kevin Clark. He's wearing a smoky jacket and he said, yep. I'm thinking about giving Jared Goff 120 million. What do you yep. think? And Kevin Clark said, that sounds great. I saw him two years ago for 20 yeah. minutes. And he looked great. We were in the Super Bowl together once and I was impressed how he handled the noise. You should do that. We're doing that too. 300,000 on the Rams. And then, um, yeah, that's it. Then we'll do the long shot parlay. We're doing two, 25 K. Niners Bengals uh f- plus 1430 odds. So I I can't even calculate that, but I'll win almost 300k if that wins. And then yeah. Bengals Washington both have to win plus 825. And then just for fun, we're putting 50k in the Niners plus 320 straight up against the Saints. Just for fun. Dabbling. Little little Kyle Shanahan. Little little belief that that there's still some life in that guy yet. I love that this. is that is the million dollar picks for week 10.
1: Fortune favors the
0: bold. Kevin Clark, we can see you on slow news day on the Ringer Twitter feed. We yes. can, and on YouTube. And, uh, and you Ringer NFL show Sunday night,
1: North Prince yeah.
0: and Thursday yep. with a rotating cast and crew. And you cheated on us and you went on Zach Lowe's podcast to talk about the Orlando Magic. I can't he believe that. Me. I can't believe that was even one of the top 30 topics for him. He's been trying to book me
1: for like eight months and then the pandemic and then like literally we've almost done it five times and today was the day. So we got to talk about Russell Westbrook to the Magic, which is the room where we started.
0: Oh, I, I'm in. It's, I think it's Orlando, Charlotte or Detroit for him. I don't think so. I, I've if I, if I may drop a nugget. Please. Uh,
1: since, since the pod dropped, I have been uh, reliably informed that I do not think the Magic are going to trade for
0: ah. Oh, would you? Would Someone. you have wanted to?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, like, what is our what is the Magic's core uh, right now? Like, it's it's winning one game against the the one or two seed every single year, and I just don't know how that progresses, especially with Isaac out for this the season. And so, I, I I it would solve a number of the problems. It would certainly create others, and it certainly wouldn't create an Eastern Conference contender. But I don't think that they're Everyone's like, oh, might mess up the timeline. What
0: timeline? Where are we going? Yeah. So you might not go 35 and 47 (laughs) this year. Here's the thing with Russ. I I actually think he'll be underrated compared to what offers he's getting in. Cause if he, like, if you just gave him the car keys and you're like, Russ, here are the car keys, drive the car. He's going to go 27, nine and nine every game. I guarantee that's better than whatever your point guard was going to give you next year. Also,
1: two days ago, I was reading like Aaron Gordon for Kelly Oubre rumors, and now I'm reading Aaron really? Gordon for Russell Westbrook rumors. And it's like, well, I, I know which side of the equation I'd like to be on.
0: Do you have to match salaries or do you have set enough space to actually absorb him?
1: Well, so Dan Devine's, we don't have, we have almost no flexibility. Dan Devine had a fake trade that was Gordon Fultz and James Ennis for Westbrook, which I think is $31 million on our end and then thirty seven on theirs.
0: So Poor poor Fultz. That's a tough break for Fultz. Hey, Fultz, stand in the corner for James Harden and miss a three-pointer for us every once in a while. How's that sound? I hope you get Russell Westbrook. I hope he goes to one of those East teams. I think that would be really fun. I want to see Russ on a 35-win team just going for his own stats. That's that's what I want. That's, and, when, no, that,
1: that, and that was Zach's point, too, is that he gets to play Russ ball again no matter what the yeah. destination is. So,
0: you know, just be who you are. All right, Kevin Clark, good to see you. All right, Claire McNair is here. She writes for theringer.com about, what, 18 months ago? When did we task you with this, this book?
2: Yeah, it, it all started, it became a book project about about a year and a half ago.
0: Okay, so Ringer Books, which we launched in uh, 2018, maybe early 2018, Claire loves Jeopardy. It was a running joke how much she loved Jeopardy. She wrote for Jeopardy a bunch of times <laughs> for us, a lot of tweets about it. And then when we think of book ideas, it's like, well, what about Claire and Jeopardy? Boom. And now it's out. Answers in the form of questions, the Definitive History and Insider's Guide to Jeopardy. But randomly, uh, we knew Alex Trebek was sick. We knew he was a national treasure. Um, and he passed away a couple of days ago. And you talked to him for this book. He's in it a bunch. Um, and he's a big piece of it. But um, the thing that struck me, reading all the pieces, reading your piece, reading everybody else, it's rare that you have the celebrity who has the unanimous approval rating, you know, where just kind of everybody liked them. And if you were at a party or I don't know, anywhere on the train and you heard somebody like being like, man, I hate Alex Trebek with a dick or anything, you'd be like, what? Like you'd almost be shocked. What, What was it about him in your opinion that got him to earn a unanimous approval rating from people?
2: Yeah, so I mean the last time I saw him um was in January, uh right before everything <laughs> went to hell. Um at, at TCA's, which is this this uh multiple times a year like TV critic conference. And it's usually like a very staid crowd. And they had this Jeopardy panel for the greatest of all time tournament, which was on the air at that, at that time. And the critics just collectively lost it over this guy. He was like standing ovation, like a media scrum around him. And somebody like asked in one of their questions, they were like, Well, you, you know, you've never had a scandal. And he fired back, like, I've still got time. I, I can do <laughs> right. it. And so I mean, he, he, he but he never did. He never had that scandal. And and so I think it's it's partly that you know, he was a pretty staid person. Like he was kind of the character he seems like. And also it was just the format of Jeopardy. Like people have watched this for decades. You grew up watching it with your parents. Maybe you watch it with your kids. It's like this multi-generational touchstone. And so he he's just in your living room five nights a week for 36 years.
0: It's the perfectly structured game show we've ever had. Where it's it got it's got the first level, you get to meet the people, commercial. Second level, a little bit, a little more stakes. It's getting a little more competitive. All right. Time for the final question. Commercial. And now, you know, it just keeps you all the way through. And the categories and no matter who you are, how smart you are, there's always going to be one category. You'll be able to get like three or four of them. Everybody has the one or two friends that can just, you sit next to them watching Jeopardy, they know the answer to 80, 90% (laughs) of them. Mine was in college, my buddy Jacko, who would just sit there and be like, just shouting out the answers before us. It's
2: not fun, right? It's horrible. No, we were like, shut
0: up. Um, But uh, what's amazing is how they've never really tweaked it at all. I feel like it's the exact same show it was when I was in college when we were watching it. I know it was even on earlier than that. Um, They'll never tweak it, but now they have to tweet the host. It's hard to imagine. Anyone else stepping into those shoes, um, which I guess we'll talk about later, but when Alex got the job, cause I know you cover this a little bit in your book, how did he, how did he get it? Um, how did he keep it? Who was he competing against? Like how much did you, were you able to find out about that?
2: Yeah, I, um, So he, he had been a broadcaster for the CBC in Canada and, um, had moved to, uh, Toronto and, you know, joined the national office. And he had started to kind of do variety shows through that and, and did actually kind of his first game show sort of, which was this show called reach for the top. That was like a contest for, for Canadian high school kids. And that actually spawned like the first parody of Alex Trebek, the Mm. SCTV one with Eugene Levy. So he was really kind of parodied from the very beginning. Um, but he, he got to meet Alan Thicke um, through that Variety show when he was performing on the show. And Alan Thicke uh, floated him when he was launching a, a game show in um, in Los Angeles. And he auditioned for that. And he got the gig. And it just led to a string of other game shows, most of which were much zanier than uh, Jeopardy. And he, he came onto the radar of Merv Griffin when he guest-hosted Wheel of Fortune. Um, and... Uh, he he was kind of an unusual figure. Like his, he, you know, he had a silly Canadian accent. He had a thick mustache. He had a big, fluffy hair. You know, he he really didn't look like your traditional slick game show host. So it, it kind of was a weird choice for them to make. But Merv Griffin was was just kind of forever a showman, and um, you know, well, I, he was he was eager to 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 try out syndication, which had worked really well for Wheel of Fortune, and and thought that Jeopardy would go well with it.
0: So I'm, I'm child of the seventies. I'm way older than you. Game shows were really important, right? We didn't have reality TV. We didn't have a lot of cable channels and especially in the mornings, we didn't even have a lot of like the daytime stuff, like, you know, the, the talk shows and stuff like that. So it was like Price is Right, Joker's Wild, Tic Tac Doe, all these different shows. And the hosts, uh, were really important, right? You had Bob Barker was like the king. But then you had, you know, I think Jim Perry was was hosting Card Sharks, and um, on and on down the line. It was hard for the game show host to kind of either transcend it or seem like completely indispensable. Like ultimately, you feel you felt like well, anybody could have hosted that show. I think what was crazy with Alex and Jeopardy is like it's impossible to, for me to think of anyone else hosting it. I even remember when they did the Sports Jeopardy spinoff. And Dan Patrick was doing it. Dan Patrick's an incredible broadcaster. He's had this awesome career and you just couldn't separate the Trebek. And it was like, well, you're not Alex Trebek. And that's what I think going forward. I I think it's going to be really hard for them to find somebody else, right?
2: Yeah, I, you know, and Jeff Probst right before Survivor did Rock and Roll Jeopardy, and and none of those kind of spinoffs worked. None of them really caught on. I mean, there were a few seasons, I think, of both those shows, um, and there was a, a children's variant as well called Jepp. Um, but yeah, they just, even though they were kind of produced by the same people and the same set, same executive producer, they had the clue crew involved with some of them. It just didn't didn't work. Um, and it, you know, I think there is this moment. Of anxiety, I think there, you know, it has been going on for a while as as uh, you know, Trebek got into his seventies of just how much of Jeopardy's success depends on him, Mm. and I he he was always very humble about it. Said that you know it was the game, it was the show, it was the team, it was the contestants. He was just the host of the show, not the star of the show. He was very that was like he was very specific about how he would be introduced on um, Jeopardy. Um, But of course, you know, if you watch Jeopardy, he kind of was the star, even if he was not introduced as that um he you know there there will be jeopardy we will see another host it, of course it is you know <laughs> it gets it attracts like 10 million viewers a night um but i think you have to find somebody who can project a lot of what Trebek did, but isn't so similar that it invites the comparison more than it inherently will. So you need somebody who is scholarly, who can inject that humor, um, who who seems like they kind of walk the walk, talk the talk. But, you know, of course, you, do, you don't want a Trebek clone because there will there will never be another Trebek, right? So you need somebody yeah. who can balance that. And I, I am so glad that, you know, I don't have to be part of that conversation at Sony right now because that that is such a difficult choice, difficult conversation. And of course they're all in mourning because he was a person they'd worked with for, for nearly 40 years.
0: Well, and they also, some people who have cancer, especially a bad cancer, like the one he has, but when they kind of fight it off and hold on, they hit a point, uh, you know, it happens with family members, people have, or just people in your life or whatever, where you kind of think they they're beating it and that they're indestructible. And he was even, what was he hosting three weeks ago?
2: Yeah, he he was hosting, he hosted his last episode a week and a half before his death.
0: Yeah, I was, I got to say, I was, for somebody who is 80 years old with pancreatic cancer, I was actually shocked to find out he died. Because I felt like, oh, Alex has yep. this. I don't know what's going on with this dude, but yep. he's got this under control. But, I, you know, some people have different pain tolerances and whatever. Yeah. But uh, amazing that he held on for that long.
2: It's it's wild. So, you know, he he was diagnosed about a year and a half before his death. And and I think it, he was he was so kind of he had such a, a self-deprecating dark sense of humor. And I think he said pretty upfront in in when he announced his diagnosis publicly that like the odds aren't good. It's stage four pancreatic. There is not a yeah. stage five like it is. Very serious, very bad, and in fact, he—I mean—he knows that very personally because the original host of Jeopardy, Art Fleming, also died of pancreatic cancer, and I think he passed right. just a couple of weeks after his diagnosis. Um, so, yeah, it's—it it was amazing, and it, it was—I—I I was taken aback by how much it felt like a shock on Sunday because you're yeah. right, we knew he was very, very ill, but it still felt like no, 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 you've got it, like you're—you're, you're, you know, Johnny Gilbert's ninety-six, so you know we've got at least. decades more with, with Trebek. So it really just feels like this got punch.
0: You know, you're talking about other formats and what's worked and not worked. I got to say sports jeopardy. I felt like should have worked better than it did. And I'm not, I put this way when it was on, I always found myself watching because especially when there's so many freak sports fans out there and they're always think they're going to know more about sports than anyone. I I don't think they should have given that one up yet. Um, going backwards with your book. So you throw yourself into this, you open, you open the door to hear from all these Jeopardy people who have been on the show or had family members on the show and stuff like that. What was the biggest surprise for you in the uh, year plus of reporting?
2: I think, oh man, that's tough. I I spent, <laughs> I did some silly things in the, in the reporting of this. Like I knew I wanted the, um, the scene at the hotel around the contestants. They put all the contestants, actually, I'm sorry, they do not put up the contestants. Contestants pay their own way to Jeopardy Mm. unless you're coming back for a reunion tournament. So you're, you're, you know, buying your own plane ticket, putting yourself in in a hotel, but they, they have a discounted rate at a couple, like not particularly nice hotels near the Culver City lot. And I knew that I wanted to write about that scene because there's just this crazy thing that happens on tape day mornings where they all gather in the lobby and they're so nervous. And this is just a thing that they've Wanted for years and years and years, perhaps their entire lives. And, and they just wait for this shuttle bus to take them to Jeopardy. And, and so I you know, woke up at like 530 in the morning in this hotel and like stepped down to the lobby and was just like spying on these people, like flipping through all the masks. And
1: Jeez. It's,
2: it's a crazy, it's a crazy scene. I, you know, I heard from from some that like they, it can it can get a little bit rowdy that night when they finally make it back. It's like they've been through the war together. And um, I unfortunately did not witness that. Everybody was very calm. Um, uh, mm. yeah, we had
0: that's... one of my college friends, Kara McDermott, um, made Jeopardy in the mid nineties. I don't remember what year. And she's now married to my college roommate, Horks, but it was a big deal for us. Right. we had watched Jeopardy and she was like, you know, we're all in the Boston area. And it's like, oh my God, she made Jeopardy and, and she would couldn't tell us how she did. Yeah. So. Had this whole, you know, they had some bar situation. So a bunch of us were there and we're just watching it live and she's not saying how she did. And then she won and we went nuts. It was like, it was like, uh, the Red Sox, you know, winning the ALCS or something. And then I think she won a second one. And then the third time, um, she missed one that she should have gotten. And we were just like, how did you not get that one? And she's like, hey, it's hard up there. There's a lot of pressure. You don't understand. And, but uh, it was so cool to have, know somebody who was in that. But it seems like everybody has one person in their life who's kind of gone into the gauntlet, right? And done it? Yeah,
2: I mean, it's it's just, it's a <laughs> it's a show that's been around for so long, right? That just yeah. the, the sheer numbers of it, they have like 430, I think, contestants a year. So wow. um yeah. So I, with watch parties, though, that is so much part of the culture. And I, I just wrote an article for The Ringer about that. But I, for part of the reporting of this, went to, um, James Holzhauer's watch party during the greatest of all time tournament. He held this great event in Las Vegas for charity and, you know, invited people to come into like this big theater with his name up on the marquee and, um, and and he watched in the audience with his wife, and I was sitting with these like diehard Vegas Jeopardy fans who were just staring at James Holzhauer's back the whole time, trying to like you know judge his body language. It just doesn't mean he wins, and you know like right. people get so into it.
0: What do people? Who do people think the goat is, and and who do you think the goat is right now? Because I know there's different arguments about this, and they've yeah. even tried to prove it in tournaments yeah. and stuff.
2: Absolutely, I I um. Ken Jennings has said a lot about how he thinks that his skills have fallen off, that he thinks, you know, Jeopardy is a young man's game. And to some degree, that's true because there is this inherent buzzer timing that is such a part of it. But seeing him go head to head with James, really what those games came down to was who happened to find the Daily Devil. And um, it, it, was, it was so much luck. Like, they are so evenly matched. And, and so despite the fact that, like, Ken had a pretty authoritative win in that tournament, like... I, I kind of, I don't know. I mean, Ken also made the point that, that, you know, he, James forced him and Brad as well to just start playing James's strategy. And so I, I so hope we see more of James Holzhauer. And I think fortunately the odds of that are, are really good.
0: How old is he now?
2: He's 34. I want to say I might be off by so a couple of years.
0: My take on this is I think you peak with this stuff. Late twenties, early thirties.
2: Yeah. A lot of junkies could doesn't say this.
0: Yeah, because I just know, like, I could have gone on any sort of sports show when I was like 28, 29, 30 and hung. Now I would be a disaster. I can't remember anything. <laughs> but that coming at like that eight years after college, eight, nine years, and especially if you're a true drunkie with all this stuff and you're yeah. soaking everything in, but that stuff isn't being pushed out as you're building all these new memories from age 33 to 50, if you have kids, if you get married. Uh, work, yeah. all this stuff, plus your brain cells start dying off. And I just feel like, I feel like that's the peak. It's like, athlete, almost like athletes where you're going to remember the most, your brain's going to be the freshest. And also honestly, like being close to high school and college, where you learn a lot of the stuff that you need for yeah. Jeopardy. Those are things you're not going to learn when you're like 50, you know? Right.
2: Right. Yeah. I I think you're totally right. Um, That, you know, memory is a thing that, that does Gradually get worse. Um, you know, I'd like to think that now that I'm in my 30s, I'm not like yeah, you're still good, you're fine. Yet, we'll see, we'll see. Give me another five. You're years. fine for now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but but there, I think Jeopardy contestants talk about a lot is is just the kind of pop culture exposure. Like you just you you know more of just the stuff that's going on when you're younger you're just kind of exposed to more of it and that is a hmm. thing that contestants who come back for reunion tournaments really really struggle with and try to you know brush up on but like you're just you're just kind of missing it you're just a little bit out of the loop and of course like the you know the Jeopardy writers are not you know they're not college students but they have been very effective at kind of keeping track of pop culture and throwing new stuff into the greater Jeopardy canon
0: any uh, PD scandals or anything with Jeopardy? <laughs> Any <laughs> I like don't Adderall overuse? They're not
2: testing. They're not testing. Um, <laughs> not the def- HGH? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: it's
2: the next big scandal for Jeopardy. Um, no, I mean, I've I definitely talked to unnamed contestants who have experimented with like beta blockers before going on game shows like Jeopardy. And then, of course, had that kind of not work out for them. Um, because you know, if you're not used to it then you're just freaked out about one more thing and you know, your pulse is doing whatever. Um, yeah, but, that makes sense. Yeah. So I, you would you have know, to, I you'd have to, you'd have to
0: test that out for like two weeks beforehand to,
2: yeah. yeah Cause you
0: would want to be calm and totally aware and quick, but you wouldn't want to test that out. Right. In Jeopardy. So, like you would want to know what that feels like. Yeah, this.
2: exactly. So I mean, one of the, great things I got to do for the book was I was able to talk to a lot of the Celebrity Jeopardy contestants. And I talked to Andy Richter, who has done very, very, very well on Celebrity Jeopardy. And uh, he, he made the point that he was just so used to being on TV. He was so used to being on that stage. And it was just like, of course, not nervous about that part of it at all. And I don't really know how if you are not a person who works in TV, not a comedian, you you really get those reps. But yeah, so so much of what is going on with somebody maybe not doing well is just like the sheer terror of suddenly being on the Jeopardy! stage. And and of course, you know, meeting Alex Trebek is like such a shocking thing for, for people who've watched him on TV their whole
0: lives. That was the big takeaway from my friend Kara when she did it, which was... It would be fine if you were in your living room, but when you're actually there and your nerves are going and there's an audience and there's Alex is right there and the lights are on and the director's like three, two, one, that's, you know, and you have to block all that out. It's almost like playing a sport or something. Just for the record, who is the best celebrity Jeopardy person of all time? It's not Andy Richter, is it?
2: It, I think it's Andy Richter has the highest one day like single game total ever and that was from that game where he just totally shellacked Wolf Blitzer which he, oh, he yeah. talked to Legendary. me a little bit about just it's that like it was, it was awful yeah. he was like it was so it was just like not fun to be a part of that game yeah. and Wolf Blitzer kind of scurried out and it was just like he felt really bad about it afterwards and then of course it became like a meme so right um, but I, Michael McKeon who I was also able to talk to has has won the most he won this like million dollar tournament that was sort of the tournament of champions for celebrity contestants so um he's he's a jeopardy nut i mean he he and you know in addition to being really good at jeopardy like watches it religiously he watches it every night at seven o'clock with his wife they play along they you know they count down to final jeopardy they take it really seriously so it was it was fascinating to talk to somebody like that who watches he, the show that way
0: he's another canadian isn't he
2: you know, I don't know. I'm not yeah, sure. You know, no, no, that is right. That is right. The freaking Canadians. T- yeah. Yeah, he was telling me about he he has um an unusual thumb based on a a thumb injury that he had when I think he was in drama school and he, that was definitely in Canada. Mm. So, um he he's not sure if it has helped with his buzzer, but um it mm. certainly hasn't hurt. So
0: What was the biggest controversy in the history of Jeopardy?
2: My you know, it's not a very controversial show. There have not been a lot of controversies on it. My my favorite, though, is, you know, like the cardinal rule of Jeopardy is once you go on, you can never go back. And so there was this guy whose name I am blanking on in this moment, but uh, he went on in um, the early 2000s, I want to say. And he came in, I think, third place. And, you know, it was, you know, all right, whatever, that's great. He made it to Jeopardy. That's very impressive. And then almost exactly a decade later, he came back and he did it again and he was even wearing the same tie and he you know played still under his same name and he just had a slightly different description of his job as a as a teacher in in southern california i think um but the show didn't realize it and and it wasn't until it hit the airwaves that that they um they realized that he had kind of done this but he 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 lost once again so so oh <laughs> I'm that's not even sure worse. i got him yeah <laughs> well and the funniest thing is he kind of, he sat for interviews as a lot of contestants do with like his local newspaper Talking about how exciting it was to finally make it to the Jeopardy stage and you know put on makeup for the first time, but he had done it ten years earlier as well.
0: Wow, yeah, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> as far as Jeopardy goes, I
2: I tried very hard to to track him down because I would I just really wanted to interview him, but I was not able to, to find him. So he is one of my my great heartbreaks with the book.
0: What did uh, Will Farrell's Famous Trebek impersonation on SNL and all those, and Trebek finally ended up going on. But do you feel like that even weirdly vaulted the show to a different level? Because that, I mean, at the time SNL was really having a resurgence, and Celebrity yep. Jeopardy was like the go-to sketch for I think two years for Will Ferrell. But what kind of impact mm-hmm. did that have?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think that it's it's huge. It's it's absolutely huge. Um, it it just made it such a a. Pop culture thing again, and I think it kicked off so many of those other cameos on other shows as well, where Trebek would actually go on. It was a huge mm. thing in the '90s; like everybody had their Trebek episode. Um, it, you know, it it is like the the favorite joke of people talking about Jeopardy. It's, you know, suck at Trebek or you, you know some version of of one of those lines from from the, the sketches. Yeah. And and in the Jeopardy studio, they would play clips from Saturday Night Live as they were kind of like welcoming contestants. So they were very happy
0: with it, let's say. Yeah. Uh, Sean Connery and, um, Burt Reynolds were the two funniest ones because norman Donald was Burt Reynolds. He was just like chewing his gum, yeah. but I always thought they did yeah. a really good job with those. All right. So the book has come, it, the book is out. Yes. You can buy it now. You can buy it anywhere. Um, anywhere you get books, which I think for about 99% of the people right now is, uh, online, but how's yes. the response been so far? <laughs>
2: It's I mean, it's been great. And it's been it has been a delight to hear from contestants who who think that I conveyed the experience correctly. It is it is a scary thing to write a book for uh, nerds, let's say. Petes yeah, would be maybe the, the the less charitable term because, you know, I'm, I am going to hear about the small mistakes and I have not yet started to get the hate mail about, you know, saying podium instead of lectern. But I know that it's coming.
0: All right. Well, be prepared. Uh, Congrats on the book. I'm really psyched that uh, this all worked out and I can't wait to see the reaction. Thanks for coming on.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. All
0: right, that's it for the BS Podcast. If you missed the book of Basketball Podcast, Alan Iverson, go check out that episode over the weekend. We will see you on Sunday night with the Cuz. Looking forward to it.